Hey folks, this is Jesse Kill, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, whatever part of the day you're in. I appreciate y'all joining me as always, giving me a little bit of your time each day, and hope that it helps your day pass a little bit, and hope that it gives you a little something, and hopefully it helps our country, even if just a little bit. I appreciate those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, uh, this looks like it's going to have been a pretty stellar last month. I'll let y'all know about that when I figure it out for sure. And we'll go for one of our little walks. I have two puppy dogs today that seem pretty interested in going or at least being petted on the walk. We'll see. <laughs> Not much. Uh, the garden is still struggling under the heat. Everything is still struggling. And you begin, although we have been in drought conditions only very limited time, just catch just the slightest little glimpse of what it must have been like back in the 50s in parts of the country. And then again before that. In the 30s, I believe, or sometime around then, we had some wonderfully, wonderfully dark clouds. Uh, temperature dropped a little bit. Wind picked up. You could just almost smell the rain and then nothing. Uh, maybe just two or three sprinkles. And, and it moved on. And blue skies again. And sure is disheartening. I can only imagine for the farmers and ranchers that depend on it, as I said recently, might offer a prayer for those people, um, the ones you know and the ones you don't. All right, so we'll get going. We're going to talk about a man that I don't think we've talked about on a podcast before, George Washington Carver, and then I'll make a couple little extra comments at the end. I'm going to pull almost all of this out of America's Guide and Country Encyclopedia Quotes. Phenomenal book if you don't have a copy. George Washington Carver was an agricultural chemist of international fame who revolu revolutionized the economy of the South by introducing hundreds of uses for the peanut, soybean, pecan, and sweet potato in the place of cotton. These crops not only re replenished the soil, but provided income for the South, which has since grown into the hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions by this point. He was raised by Uncle Moses and Aunt Sue Carver after his mother was kidnapped when he was an infant. Being of poor health as a child, he spent much time as a child around the house and in the woods. He later went to school in Neosha, Missouri, then in Kansas. He graduated from Iowa State College of Agriculture and Mechanical Arts. He was also an accomplished artist, having one of his paintings, the Yucca, receiving an honorable mention at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. In 1896, he gave up his faculty position at Iowa State College of Agriculture to join Booker T. Washington president of the newly founded Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. He made many medical contributions, including, including penol, 
and a cure for infantile paralysis. His discoveries from the peanut, over 300, the sweet potato, over 118, as well as from the soybean, etc., have included cosmetics, face powder, lotion, shaving cream, vinegar, cold cream, printer's ink, salad oil, rubbing oil, instant coffee, leather stains from mahogany to blue, synthetic tapioca and egg yolk, flour, paints, non-toxic colors from which crayons were eventually created. Henry Ford became personal friends with Dr. Carver, being fascinated with his method of deriving rubber from milkweed. Mr. Ford tried many times to get Dr. Carver to join him in business, but Carver was committed to helping his people and the South. Mr. Ford built a duplicate of Dr. Carver's birthplace at his Dearborn village and built a school for children named George Washington Carver School. George Washington Carver was visited at Tuskegee Institute by Vice President Calvin Coolidge, as well as by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He became a confidant and advisor to leaders and scientists from all over the world, ranging from Thomas Edison to Matt Gandhi. <laughs> there you go. Edison had also offered him a position with a six-figure income, but Carver turned it down. Six-figure income, folks, at that time was phenomenal. In the summer of 1920, the Young Men's Christian Association of Blue Ridge, North Carolina, invited Professor Carver to speak at their summer school for the Southern States. Dr. Willis D. Weatherford, president of Blue Ridge, introduced Professor Carver as the speaker. Carver, with his high voice, surprised the audience as he exclaimed humorously, I always look forward to introductions as opportunities to learn something about myself. He continued years ago when I went into my laboratory and said, Dear Mr. Creator, please tell me what the universe was made for. The great creator answered, You want to know too much for that little mind of yours. Ask for something more your size, little man. Then, he, then I asked, Please, Mr. Creator, tell me what man was made for. Again, the great creator replied, You are still asking too much. Cut down of the extent and improve the intent. So then I asked, please, Mr. Creator, will you tell me why the peanut was made? That's better, but even then, it's infinite. Why do you want to know about the peanut? Mr. Creator, can I make milk out of the peanut? What kind of milk do you want? Good Jersey milk or just plain boarding house milk? Good Jersey milk. And then the great creator taught me how to take the peanut apart and put it together again. And out of the process have come forth all these products. Among the numerous products displayed was a bottle of good Jersey milk. Three and a half ounces of peanuts produced one pint of rich milk or one quart of boarding house Blue John. In 1921, George Washington Carver accepted an invitation to address the United States Senate Ways and Means Committee in Washington, D.C. concerning the potential uses of the peanut and other new crops to improve the economy of the South. Initially given only 10 minutes to speak, the committee instantly became enthralled so much that the chairman said, Go ahead, brother. Your time is unlimited. Carver spoke for one hour and 45 minutes. At the end of his address, the chairman of the committee asked, Dr. Carver, how did you learn all these things? Carver answered, from an old book. What book? asked the senator.
Carver replied, the Bible. The senator inquired, does the Bible tell about peanuts? No, sir, Dr. Carver replied, but it tells about the God who made the peanut. I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. George Washington Carver named his laboratory God's Little Workshop and never took any scientific textbooks into it, as he would just ask God how to perform his experiments. On November 19, 1924, having accepted the invitation of the Women's Board of Domestic Missions to speak in New York City's Marble Collegiate Church, Dr. Carver declared before the 500 people assembled, God is going to reveal to us things he never revealed before if we put our hands in his. No books ever go into my laboratory. The thing I am to do and the way of doing it are revealed to me. I never have to grope for methods. The method is revealed to me the moment I am inspired to create something new. Without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless. Probably a pretty important line here, folks, to reread. Without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless. He would lock the door behind him when he went into his laboratory, as he confided. Only alone can I draw close enough to God to discover his secrets. George had developed a lifelong friendship with Jim Hardwick from the Virginia Polytechnical Institute. Jim's brother, Harry Hardwick, had become the head football coach of the U.S. Naval Academy. During one of Jim Hardwick's visits to Tuskegee Institute in 1928, he asked Dr. Carver to share some of his observations about God. George Washington Carver responded, As a very small boy exploring the almost virgin woods of the old Carver place, I had the impression someone had just been there ahead of me. Things were so orderly, so clean, so harmoniously beautiful. A few years later in the same wood, I was to understand the meaning of the boyish impression because I was practically overwhelmed with a sense of some great presence. Not only had someone been there, someone was there. Years later, when I read the scriptures, in him we live and move and have our being, I knew what the writer meant. Never since have I been without this consciousness of the Creator speaking to me. The out of doors has been to me more and more a great cathedral in which God could be continuously spoken to and heard from. Man who needed a purpose, a mission, to keep him alive, had one. He would be, could be, God's co-worker. My attitude toward life was also my attitude toward science. Jesus said one must be born again, must become as a little child. He must let no laziness, no fear, no stubbornness keep him from his duty. If he were born again, he would see life from such a plane. He would have the energy not to be impeded in his duty by these various sidetrackers and inhibitions. My work, my life, must be in the spirit of a little child, seeking only to know the truth and follow it. My purpose alone must be God's purpose, to increase the welfare and happiness of his people. Nature will not permit a vacuum. It will be filled with something. Human need is really a great spiritual vacuum which God seeks to fill. With one hand in the hand of a fellow man in need and the other in the hand of Christ. He could get across the vacuum and I became an agent. Then the passage, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me, came to have real meaning. As I worked on projects which fulfilled a real human need, forces were working through me, which amazed me. I would often go to sleep with an apparently insol insoluble problem 
When I woke, the answer was there. Why, then, should we who believe in Christ be so surprised at what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory? Some things must be baffling to the critic who has never been born again. By nature, I am a conserver. I have found nature to be a conserver. Nothing is wasted or permanently lost in nature. Things change their form, but they do not cease to exist. I'm reminded of the second law of thermodynamics here, the first law that uh, energy matter can be neither created nor destroyed. It can change forms, but it can't be created or destroyed. Why then? Ah, I apologize. After I leave this world, I do not believe I am through. God would be a bigger fool than even a man if he did not conserve what seems to be the most important thing he has yet done in the universe. This kind of reasoning may aid the young. When you get a grip on the last rung of the ladder and look over the wall as I am now doing, you don't need their proofs. You see, you know you will not die. Last paragraph probably needs to be reread, folks. I certainly need to hear it. It's very comforting. When you get a grip on the last rung of the ladder and look over the wall as I am now doing, you don't need their proofs. You know you will not die. In 1939, George Washington Carver was awarded the Roosevelt Medal with the declaration to a scientist humbly seeking the guidance of God and a liberator of men of the white race as well as the black. George Washington Carver remarked, The secret of my success? It is simple. It is found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's one of my favorite verses of all times, folks. Uh, whether you cling to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not, it, it's well worth taking the time to look it up. It's out of the chapter of Proverbs, chapter 3, I believe it's verses 4 and 5. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. This is so imperatively true individually and as a nation. We've forgotten it. We've rejected it. And we need to turn back to it, folks. If we will, God will direct our paths. It doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be heartache. It doesn't mean some people will suffer when we don't see any need for it and others be successful when we think they shouldn't be. But it does mean on the whole that God will direct our path to his end. His end that we should all come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Carver was talking about, that last round. When you, when you realize that that's God's goal, you realize that you'll never die and that he's bringing you to something better eternally than what you have here for a limited time. I'm going to read that last quote again. The secret of my success, said Mr. Carver, it is simple. It is found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I'm going to read one more quote, folks, and wrap it up with a couple comments. Uh, this is from Theodore Roosevelt in 1907. In the first place, we should insist that if the immigrant who comes here in good faith becomes an American and assimilates himself to us, he shall be treated on the exact equality with everyone else. 
for it is an outrage to discriminate against any such man because of creed or birthplace or origin. But this is predicated upon the person's becoming in every facet an American and nothing but an American. There can be no divided allegiance here. Any man who says he is an American but something else also isn't an American at all. We have room for but one flag, the American flag. We have room but for one language here, and that is the English language. And we have room but for one sole loyalty, and that is the loyalty to the American people. As I read through these excerpts from Mr. Carver and got ready for this podcast, I had thoughts. Uh, one is what Roosevelt talked about there, about you can't have, I guess these are really both the same thought, folks. They just came to me in two separate ways. But Roosevelt's comment on no dual loyalty and all of those quotes you read, except for one hint and one reference when he got the medal, the, the Roosevelt medal, there, there was no reference to race or skin color minus those. And today we don't see that. Today the left tries to make everything about race or gender. Folks, there can be no hyphenation in America. There's no such thing. Uh, well, let me back up. When you say African American or Irish American or Asian American or Japanese American or Mexican American or whatever it is, you know, the only true African American that I've ever known in my life that had dual citizenship in America and in Africa was a white woman. Those cases are extremely limited. My father driving in the driveway needs something, I'm sure. There's always something, folks. Always something. Little town life. The point is, You heard no distinction, and I'm sure Mr. Carver made comments about race. He lived at a time when it was almost impossible not to, which the left is trying to make it that way today. But we need to really focus on, and if we focus on our founding faith and principles, they make it easy. All men are created equal by God. Have we always lived up to that? No, but that's the founding principle. When we haven't lived up to it, that's when the problems start. There can be no hyphenation, no dual loyalty. And, and you combine that with Mr. Carver's statements. You know, he was a scientist. He was a black man in a time when that was hard still to be. Not like today. There's no systemic racism or oppression, despite what the left tries to say. If we would focus on being an American and nothing else, and those principles of America, which are based on the teachings of Christ, that's where that would lead us. Truly loving America and her founding principles leads to God and the Bible and Jesus Christ. That's what makes our republic strong. And there's no disagreement there, by the way, folks. We've talked about this recently between science and God. Mr. Carver's a wonderful example of that. They go hand in hand, which makes sense. The God of the universe has to give you something. 
that supports his creation, right? They can't go against each other. At any rate, I appreciate y'all joining me, folks, giving me a little bit of your time. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. Haven't mentioned in a while, but remember Patrick Henry's quote, and whatever your sphere of influence is, you all have one. And whatever you do, try and spread virtue and the truth. We'll talk to y'all again real soon. Looking forward to it, folks.